Salutations and welcome to Retrek. I'm Captain Jim and with me, of course, is Admiral Elliot. Hi there. And we're here to talk about episode four of Discovery's fourth season, All Is Possible, which, I don't know, something to do with a snow globe or something. That threw me a bit. I wasn't quite sure what the crack was with that. But anyway. I think, well, I've, I've worked that one out, I think. All right, cool. Well, we'll get to it when we get to it. But, um... Yeah, an episode that's had quite a bit of buzz about it. Not not necessarily a reflection of the quality, though I didn't think it was a bad episode, but all the talk is, has Mary Wiseman left the show? Has Tilly left the show? Are we getting a Starfleet Academy spin-off? Well, we can confirm straight away because Mary Wiseman and their producers of Star Trek Discovery have both done interviews since and both said that she will be back later on in the season. Yeah, so so she still so she has got more, so she hasn't left Star Trek. She is going to be in it again later in the season. Now I think we kind of called this last week. We said maybe she's going to go teach at the academy, and you said if she does, you don't want her coming back. So they're gonna <laughs> they're gonna have to do. And you didn't mean it in a nasty way. You just meant like no, we don't I, want no, to contrive. I, I didn't mean it in a nasty way. I didn't. Mean, I I just don't want people them sort of doing this. Big bye-byes and all that, and everyone gets worked up about it. For people just to walk back in half a dozen episodes late. Because I think that sort of defeats the object. It does. And the other thing is you don't want to have to have really convoluted reasons as to why why the characters come back. It's like, right, okay, she's at the Academy, so you've you've got to have a story that involves the Academy. Well, this, this opens the door, though, doesn't it? Like, one of the very earliest sort of spin-off shows from mm-hmm. Star Trek um, was Starfleet Academy. And we're talking back in the 70s. Yeah, it's one that... We're talking before the movies, it's before one, the motion picture. Yeah, it's one that's been talked about every single time they talk about a spin-off and they've talked about a Starfleet Academy film a couple of times and yeah. it, it's like, just never got over the line, but... Like... To be fair, how this how this episode shows it, and after the burnout, like they've literally got a human there who's never seen an alien species because of the burn. Yeah, and and all like this is probably the best time to do a star a Starfleet Academy series. I think in this time period, because you're going to have conflict and all that. There, yeah, so not got... all going to be nice and yeah, and it's nice not... and rosy. Yeah, it's. And it's a Starfleet Academy that's only recently reopened, so it's rebuilding yeah. and it's finding its feet again and it's finding new ways of doing things. So yeah, yeah, I agree yeah, with you. Like, I think, like, I think if you did it sort of next gen time, especially like when you saw it with Wesley going, yeah, they were competitive to get in there, but I don't think it'd have been really interesting watching the cadets because they all. It's a bit nicey nicey. They've all been brought up with Starfleet. Yeah. What it is. Yeah, this is definitely, like you said, an interesting time to do it. And, you know, this is all speculation at this point, but if they are going to do it, they, this is almost like a backdoor pilot because we're, yeah. 
we've established Tilly presumably would be the main character, but you're also going to have David Cronenberg potentially as a... Overseeing. Yeah, a recurring. Well, he has already sort of said, I'm overseeing yeah. the Academy. So you've potentially got him as a recurring guest star. You could have the president could pop in now and again. Admiral Silver Daddy Bear could turn up now and again. Yeah. Discovery could always come in now and again. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of potential for this one. Um, anyway, let, let's have a look at this week's episode then and we'll maybe touch on that a little bit more when we get to the end. Um, first of all then... And it doesn't happen often in Discovery, which is why I'm flagging it up. We actually start with a captain's log, which yeah. we have done sometimes, but obviously in the early days, because Michael wasn't the captain, we didn't get it. And I think Saru did a couple of them, so I think we we flagged it up when it happened last time. Yeah. But it's just, you know, it's nice to see. This is how nearly every single episode of TNG started. And TOS. And TOS. So, yeah, it's nice to have a, a captain's log, and it does a good job of catching us up. It's been a week since last episode. This is what so-and-so's doing. This is what so-and-so's yeah. doing. So, But the anomaly isn't doing a lot at this point. They tell us pretty much straight away, like, eh, no, what's going on with the anomaly? Yeah, it's just hanging there. <laughs> Which I'm fine with. You know, the, we don't have to have whatever the the big plot yeah, of the season is. We don't is, have to have them chasing it every episode. Yeah. Oh, we can we save this planet? Can we save this planet? Yeah. Can we save this installation, etc.? It, it's quite nice stuff because there is a lot that needs to happen this season, following on from the burn. And it's nice that we've got this anomaly, which is the big bad, that I I imagine will be. Maybe mid-season we might get some more of it. And I imagine yeah. the last couple of episodes will be fighting it yeah. and beating it. <laughs> I would have but, thought so. But we need the Federation rebuilding and things like that as well. That's it. And, it, and it's nice that last week to an extent and this week I think more so, we're doing these almost standalone episodes. Like they, They've got elements of the art plot in it and particularly with the character arcs, which we'll, we'll talk about. But it's nice that they can still drop in your traditional Star Trek, this is what your yeah. plot's going to be this week, this is yeah, the adventure you're going on. There's an ongoing... Like, it's almost as if they've realised that that you need to appease the casual viewer yeah. as well. And one of the things with Discovery is it's very hard to go back and watch one episode. Yeah. You... you because the story acts how how it's been done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it'll it'll lose out on viewership overall. It will that repeat viewership. <clears throat> yeah, I mean the the problem is now, and this is true of a lot of modern TV, like you say, you don't just go, oh let's stick an episode <laughs> of Discovery on. You've got to be willing to go, I'm gonna binge watch a whole season. Yeah. So, uh, this one, I think, does a good balancing act because even if you were a casual viewer, you could come on board, you could watch Tilly's story, you get little bits here and there, and that's that's good because there's there's other elements to it that you might go, oh, I wonder what this anomaly thing is that they're talking about, or yeah. oh, what, what's happened to that book guy? Oh, I might watch a couple more to see what... And that's good. That's how you hook viewers in. So I think it does a good, a decent job with it. But it's like 
how we, how we review them, like, obviously, we're looking at the new stuff, so we talk about it like that. But when we look back on the older Trek, we can just pick episodes out and watch them on their own and talk about them. The, yeah, most of the, the time. self-contained. And you, you couldn't do this with Discovery. No, it's um, apart from the exception being what we were doing before Discovery with the Dominion War, because that, that DS9's the most difficult to do it with. But but absolutely, you're but, right. The the majority of Star you, Trek you can you pick could up. You still pick a lot of DS9. Or, or we have picked a lot of DS9. And you can do them individually because the episodes stand up on the own. Yeah, most of them do. I know yeah. some of them you have to watch like half a season because it really got... Well, that's because the story was just so intense. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, no, it's... Yeah, it's an interesting episode. It, it does dial down the arc plot and everything. We Let's talk a little bit about Book, then, because it seems like the last few episodes, we've sort of said at the end, right, do we think that's more or less the end of this storyline with Book, then? And it it almost feels like he's going sort of one step forward, two steps back at the minute, which... I appreciate is a, a more realistic depiction of grief and trauma and things like that. And, you know, these things don't get wrapped up overnight. But I think the way the episodes have been presenting it, it's wrapped it up with a nice bow at the end of every episode. And then you yeah. come back to it and it's like, oh, right, OK, we're still doing this with Buck, right. Which I don't have an issue with, but it, it just seems weird the way the, they're always wrapping it up and... You do get a, a bit of an explanation for it at the start. You get Michael saying, well, the mind weld worked for a bit and he felt better and now he's feeling a bit rough again. And But, yeah, so I'm not going to say this week that I think this is the end of this part of Buck's no, story because I like, think we're going to get it, more. I think it's got to be ongoing, this with Buck, but mm. it's just how he copes with things. Yeah. And it's fine, this episode. I mean, we don't get any massive sort of revelations or anything. No, we just get how he can cope, and it's like, and it comes, it's like, he's coming to terms with his family gone, but now it's his whole world he's having to deal, he's having to deal with a lot more than... Yeah, and it's really well played, like, how Culber does it, because he gets, he, it's almost like he tricks Buck into giving him the reaction he wants, because... He makes Buck think that he's doing one thing where actually he's doing something else because Buck's yeah. like, right, you're giving me this because you think it's just like my home world, but it's not going to work. And then Culber's, you know, yes, that's that's the point. The the point of this lesson <laughs> is to show you that it's not going to work. Yeah, you can't replace <laughs> your world. <laughs> yeah, so Culber does a really good job, I think, and... They seem to be at the minute leaning more into him as the counselor than as the doctor. Yeah. Which which is fine. And it's been established that he is pulling double duty at the minute, but like he isn't the only doctor on board though, is he? Because no, we have seen that's that true. previously. He is a medical staff. Yeah. It isn't like like I know in TOS we had Dr. Mabenga and we had Nurse Chapel. And then there was Dr. McCoy, and that was the entire medical staff I think we ever <laughs> saw. True. But I'm sure there was more medical staff than just them on board. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's just obviously for budget budgetary reasons at the time, etc. I mean, to be fair, with what this crew's gone through, they could probably do with two or three counsellors on the ship, you know? <laughs> yeah. 
be like, we, we've got at work, they call them mental health first aiders. And you go on a little course and it, it means that you can provide mental health first aid. And, you know, touch wood, I've never had to use it at work, but but I've no I idea. I'm, I'm not going to talk about first aiders. I, uh, my, my work's in a bit of trouble for All right. first aiders. Okay, <laughs> we'll, leave, we'll leave that off then. We won't go into any <laughs> dicey territory with it. The B-plot then, um, Saru and Michael have to go to Nivar because apparently Admiral Silver Daddy Bear's got a weird worm thing in his stomach. Yeah. Uh, but obviously it turns out he hasn't, but... Um, now, I thought straight away he's been eating one of them apples. Right, <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, the, the shit apples. But, yeah, I mean... It's one of them where as soon as you find out, yeah, it's all made up because you're like, yeah, that did sound made up. That sounded really lame. Yeah. Like, yeah, he's, he's not really gonna... convoluted. He's got a bizarre, a really rare worm suddenly. And it's a it's a twenty four hour worm, so yeah. it clears up. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, so yeah, the the whole Nivar thing, I I do like this. I like the idea that. You've got, I keep wanting to call it Vulcan, but you've got Nivar wanting to come back into the Federation and it all looks like it's done and dusted, but then the bombshell is that it isn't and they want a clause and all of this stuff. And running alongside this, we've got Tilly. She's still wanting to get out of her comfort zone, she tells Culber. So why don't you get out of your comfort zone by taking some cadets on a, a routine scouting mission? But obviously, there's no such thing as a routine scouting mission in Star Trek. It's, it's... And we get David, like we get David Cronenberg back to it. Now, what's going on with David Cronenberg? Like, we know he's a mysterious character anyway, but last season, it was very much looking like he was Starfleet Intelligence or he was Section 31, but he was definitely a shifty kind of guy. Whereas now it appears that he's the head of Starfleet Academy, which seems a bit of a, well, a career no, move. Um, I don't think it was head of Starfleet Academy. I, it, it says he's overseeing what's mm. going on. And I wonder if it's because of the bird, if he's looking for potential agents. Oh, uh, maybe. Sort maybe. Of agents coming in. I, I've, it, I still think there's something some shady about it. Yeah. I mean... And, like, we, we speculated he's, like, Section 31, and I don't think we'd be far off with that. I'm thinking and, part and of I this... Think, I think when you're rebuilding Starfleet, get in your people very mm. early, because they recruit, like, MI5 and the KGB recruit from universities. Yeah, yeah. So it's, I wonder if it's that sort of thing see, why he's overseeing. See, that means that a Starfleet Academy show could almost be a bit of a comedy, because you've got... You've got Tilly doing her lesson plans and trying to do everything serious, and then he keeps turning up with these weird exams that he wants people to do so he can try and recruit <laughs> and people. weird missions. <laughs> yeah, and she's like, look, I need to teach him a bit of Shakespeare today. And he's like, no, no, I want them to do this thing where they test <laughs> tests how quick they can assemble a rifle. Like, <laughs> So I don't know, maybe we're going to go for Star Trek's one, first one sitcom. Of the, I saw it in one of the forums this week on Facebook. And the fandom menace was at it again. Oh, no. Um, having a go at Cronenberg. Oh, what's he Because he has done? glasses on. Right. And they're going, 
since when has anyone in Star Trek ever worn glasses? And it's not like... Kirk in Star Trek Have you Trek seen too. Star Trek 2, The Wharf of Khan, what Kirk got for his birthday? Yeah, maybe he's <laughs> allergic to Red Knox sparring or whatever it <laughs> exactly. is. Exactly. So. And it was just one of... Like, it did get shot down, but... And the thing is, it's it could be an affectation as well. Like, you know, I, I used to know a lad at school who wore glasses with clear glass in them well, just as a... Late 80s, early 90s, it became a fashion thing to wear glasses. Yeah. And a lot of people were wearing glasses with cl- just clear glass. Yeah. No, <laughs> I remember it. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I, I can't see without them. But, um, yeah, so, yeah, I have no issue with him wearing glasses. Um, no, it was, one of the, it was one of the stupider things that I've is, seen. The yeah, you really out. have to scrape the barrel if that's best you can come up with. Yeah. Um, I do wonder if it's maybe a bit of a, you know, from a production standpoint, it's like we really like having David Cronenberg on the show. He enjoys doing it. We haven't really got a lot for that character, so why don't we why don't we make him have something to do with Starfleet Academy now as well and then we we can keep him on the show a little bit. I wonder if there's a bit of that going on, but if that's the case, that's fine. Um Adira then, so Tilly's going to take Adira, and this, to me, this has been a bit of a a weird sort of subplot this season, that you've had bits where Tilly's getting snappy with Adira, and Culber's saying, well, Adira really looks up to you, you need to, you need to be really <coughs> nice to them, and again, you get a moment in this episode where Adira says, oh, I thought I was going to be your assistant, and... Tilly's like, no, you've got to act like a cadet think, this time. Yeah. And I, I just don't that, know really where well, we've I been going this, with that. I think this boils down to what what to what said right at the very end of the episode when Tilly says, my, the worst, my worst day ever was when I was made a lieutenant. Yeah. And I don't think she likes being an officer in charge of people. No, I don't think she does. But and, then, and I think Adira is getting the brunt of it unfairly. Yeah. Yeah, because Adira's a, uh, an ensign. Yeah. It's kind of like Lister and Rimmer in Red Dwarf. Like, Lister's literally the only person that Rimmer outranks on the ship, so it gives him all the grief. Um, so, yeah, they get they go on the mission and everything. So we've got the two plots. We've got Nivar joining the Federation, Tilly and the cadets. And this is another thing where I'm kind of like... I get where they were going with it, but I'm not sure it 100% lands perfectly because the point of this episode seems to be to show that Tilly's a better teacher than she's a leader. But the episode actually shows that when she's put in a pressure situation, she can be a good leader. And yeah. it's I know there's a lot of crossover between teaching and leading, and but it, it just seems weird that she comes out of this and goes, oh, actually, I think I'd be a good teacher. Whereas what she's actually shown a lot of here is good command skills, you know. Yeah. It, I'm, I'm just not sure it, it works as well. I'm, I'm not saying the story's bad or that I didn't enjoy it. I'm just not sure it's the best way of getting this point across. Like, she starts out doing icebreakers, which is ironic considering that they end up on an ice planet in a bit. But... <laughs> But this is, I always absolutely hate this when you have 
meetings or you have like training days or you have anything like that and they go right let's all do the icebreakers let's do two truths and one lie or what you know anything like that and um, i like to make we used to have to stand in a big circle and he had to introduce everybody to your left or right i can't yeah yeah way around and it started at one and it list got longer and longer yeah and, uh, mcdonald's was a uh, Stand up and tell us an interesting fact about yeah, yourself. Yeah, that's an unusual it. Fact. And this is kind of what Tilly tries to do here. Maybe she got this from Captain Pike, actually, thinking back, because this is what he did when he when he first came on board. He said, let's yeah. go around the, the bridge. Maybe she's thinking, oh, I remember Pike doing that, and it worked out well. Yeah. So. Which makes sense, because <laughs> he's taking inspiration from yeah. the great leader. But then it all goes really bad really quickly. We crash on an icy planet and one of them's dead now, straight away. I missed... I, I, I've only seen the episode twice. I've not had a lot of time to keep going back over it. But the when they first get hit by the stray thing that sends them crashing, mm. the computer deploys something. Mm. It says deploying. I think and it's, it's some the, sort of shielding. Yeah, I think it's the blast shields that come down over the windows because later yeah. on they say, "Let's see where we, where they are, where we are," and they they raise them to see that they're on an icy thing, so they're expecting a a desert planet. So I think that must be what it is. But it does all happen really, really quickly. That bit, doesn't it? It's yeah. Which is fair enough, you know, you've got to move your story yeah, forward. Yeah, they get, get, they get hit by something and they crash very quick. Yeah, you've got to get them and, into and I, think, the... and I think, realistically, you do crash very quick if yep. you crash. Well, absolutely. And, yeah, I, I think it's a little bit harsh that... Just harsh in terms of what the writers are doing to Tilly because we know that she was on that mission in the first episode and somebody died and it shook her up a bit and then they're like, you know what, Let, let's kill one of these cadets she's in yeah, charge of straight away. away. Which I think's a bit harsh. Um, the Andorian thinks that they must be in a simulation, which I think that's quite cool and quite in character because you probably would think that. You'd be like, yeah, right. It, this is a simulation, isn't it? But he's looking at the other dead cadet on the floor. Yeah, like, yeah. It, it so. is, and he, he's not, like, how he says it, though, he's almost pleading with yeah. him to say it's a simulation. Yeah, please tell me it is, until he's like, I wish I could. But um, but she does take charge, and she does go, right, we're going to do the introduction stuff now. And that's quite good that she's asserting herself, and it's showing that she is a good people manager, even if she's not necessarily good at command as such, she is good with people. That's one of her, her best skills. Yeah. And one thing I did pick up on here, you know, I, I was a teacher many years ago, and one thing they always, always, always tell you you need to do really quick is learn everybody's names, which is not easy when, like, when you're doing your teacher training, you're teaching about up to about 10 different classes with 30 kids each, and... It's not easy to learn everybody's names. Now, Tilly's only got four of them, but really early on she has learnt the names, which is really good if she wants to be a teacher because it... Well, I've just started in a new office, so I'm very, very aware of what it's like trying to learn everyone. Exactly, yeah. And it's one of them where, have you ever had that where you're at work and, like, you, you've known someone to say hello to them for ages, 
but you don't know what the name is. And it gets to that point oh, where yeah. it's too long and you can't now ask what the name is because it's... Yes. <coughs> yeah, it's weird, is that? Um, the Tellurite and the Orion then have obviously got issues with each other. And this is what you were talking about earlier on, about we've got these people who aren't necessarily mingled with other aliens. We've got people from what are now non-Federation worlds and people who you'll have all these local systems where with the absence of Starfleet, the local systems are going to have had problems with each other, like yeah. in this case with the Emerald Chain and everything like that. So it, it is a good sort of... I think they call it like... Well, that's it. You have have the human and she's there. I was brought up on Titan, but until joining the Academy, I'd never seen an an alien. Yeah. I'd never seen a member of another species. Now, that ties back to, doesn't it? Was it... Were they from Titan, the people who were attacking Earth back in... Yes. ...last season? So, yeah, that's interesting. And so, back with Michael then. We're going to welcome Nivara into the Federation, but... She comes out, uh, the Vulcan, I'm just going to say the Vulcan president. I'm referring, if anyone wants to at us or comment or anything, when I say the Vulcan president, I'm meaning the president that is a Vulcan (laughs) rather than saying the Nivar president. So I've got my back covered with this one. And she says, we want to be able to come out of it if we don't like the way it's going. And now, I don't know, because I don't know how informed the writers are about UK politics and things but this really reminded me of Brexit because (coughs) for anybody who doesn't know the UK used to be part of the European Union we left the European Union which wasn't a good idea but never mind and we came out of it and then we sort of turned around and said but we still want to be treated the same and we don't want any of the the drawbacks to not being in the European Union. And it it kind of felt a little bit like that, like Nivar's going, well, we want to be able to leave, but we don't we don't want any hassle from that. You've got to deal with all the logistics yeah. of it. And everything. So it's it's the opposite situation to what's happened with the UK and Brexit, but it's a similar misjudged attitude of we should be able to do this without any of the consequences of doing this. And I thought that was really, really interesting. Luckily, though, we've got Saru and Michael are on the case. And I liked that Michael was really proactive about it. Like, as soon as this went down, she's like, right, you go talk to the Vulcan president. Yeah. Um, we'll see what we can do. And <coughs> I well, think... Do you think this? Something going on here, or something could end up going on here between Saru and the Vulcan oh, president. Big time, yeah. Like, like, like for a Vulcan, she was being really flirty with She Saru. was, yeah. She, she was, sent him tea. Sent him tea. She did a good meditation. She sent with him, him tea while they were all at the conference table, and it was only for him. Yeah. No, because we got a little bit of a vibe from them when they first met, but yeah. but yeah, this is. This is hotting up, and like Saru like, looks all embarrassed like, and shy. There's a few bits of it, and Michael keeps giving these looks. And let's not forget, Michael has grown up on Vulcan. Ah, yes. See, uh, seeing Sarek with Amanda, so she'll actually know what a Vulcan is like. Yeah, she knows. Who, who, yeah, she knows. <laughs> she can what, see the signs. Yeah, she knows what a Vulcan come on is. She's like, this yeah. is. 
Because, I mean, from a Vulcan perspective, this is, like you say, giving him tea, that's just outrageous what she's it, doing it is. there. <laughs> like, but, flirting openly. Yeah. I mean, yes, I, I think there definitely, definitely is. And I'm glad they've picked up that thread because we did get a bit of a vibe of it. And Saru um, seems to like her as well. It does, and yeah. I'm, I'm quite happy for Saru to get with the Vulcan person. Absolutely. Um, and I think it gives an interest, it'll be another interesting um, cross species. It would be, yeah. And um, the, oh God, can you imagine though, like a, a Vulcan and a Kelpian? So potentially, when they go through Pomfar, they'll be really, really horny, but they'll be shooting spikes out of the neck as well, you know. Yeah. This could get very, very messy. So <laughs> let's, um, yeah, don't bear thinking about really. What I, what I like about what goes on here is that it tells us a little bit more about how well the Federation president has Michael sussed out because she doesn't directly say, you go and sort this out at first, but she knows that by taking them, they're going to get yeah. involved with it. So she's like, right, <coughs> I know that Captain Bur Burnham will get, will get stuck into this, so if I put her in this situation... Like, like to be fair, like I know that we've said quite a lot of times that Burnham ends up sorting everything. Yeah. But this is one of those situations based on... Burnham's actual background, yeah. that she is the ideal person yes, for. Yes, exactly. And we, I think we said this when we looked at Unification 3 last year. It's, it is, this is when it's done really well because yeah. Michael is unique in her situation yeah. and she is the perfect person to sort this out. <clears throat> and we find out then there's the bit where the president speaks to her, and again, I think the president's been really, really clever because she can't out and out ask for help. But she says, listen to me well, with no other options, we are done here. So she's basically saying, find me another option. Find, find an alternative. But she can't say and, it. Uh, and the Vulcan president says the yeah. same thing, pretty much. Exactly. She the... goes, listen to my words. <laughs> So it's, it is a really interesting situation that they've both got their hands tied in different ways. Yes, yeah. they've basically got both presidents want this to happen. Yeah. But for political reasons, because of the people around them, yeah. they can't do the compromises. Which is right they as well. They can't take either compromise, they need a third option. Because presidents should be accountable to the people, so absolutely. Yes, uh, shame our prime minister isn't at the moment. Well, yes, indeed. Um, I mean, ooh, let me think. No, I, I usually put these episodes out pretty quick after we record it, so he probably will still be our prime minister when this goes <laughs> out. But yeah, if you're listening in the future and we've got rid of him, fantastic. Um, <laughs> and there was much rejoicing. Absolutely, there will be. I was. I've got my bottle of champagne for when he goes. And the other day we were like, shall we put it in the fridge? Is it getting to that time? Or, um, let, let, we'll see. I may have to get one. We'll see what happens with the next leak. Whether yeah, I might have to get something special. Yeah, whether we need it or not. Um, yeah, uh, it's about half eight that things keep dropping by the mirror. Right, so we'll see. An hour and a half from now. Yeah. <laughs> So on the ice planet, then, we've got what they describe in the show as a jellyfish from hell. 
and they, as we know, one of my pet peeves is why don't they just use the personal transporters? We get a reason it's attracted to the equipment, so we can't use them. Yeah, the the hunt using um, what the hunt on the planet, the hunt using its biosignature. Yeah, and its biosignature just happens to be at the same frequency as Federation equipment. Yeah, which is really unfortunate, but it is. But in this instance, <laughs> it means we can't use the transporters, we can't use the communications, we have to climb up a hill. We can't use the phasers to fight yep. them off. So we need. We have to, to turn the ship off. <laughs> yep. So we need to. Tilly needs to. <coughs> and this is what I mean. Like all of this feels like it's setting up. Because effectively, Tilly needs to take commands. She doesn't need to teach in this no. scenario. She needs to be a commander. Yeah. And it, she it's does do like, that. Follow me, I'm going to teach you how to walk across this plane. Yeah. Then follow me, I'm going to teach you how to walk up this hill. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, not so much. I mean, she could have done, like, she could have... Yeah, it isn't teaching. It's not. It's it's leading. It's leading. I mean, as I said, it's good people management, which is a skill you need for teaching, but mainly this is showing her that she's actually good at command. She's just not ready to be a first officer yet, but she's not bad at... Yeah. Maybe that's it, though, because maybe she's like, well... I don't want to be the commander of a ship. What I want to do is work with little groups of people and help them, and you need to be a teacher to do that, really. So maybe, maybe we'll give it a pass. Um, The Vulcans, then, a nice callback to going right back to Discovery Season 1. It's the logic purists who are causing the problem now. Yeah. So they've well, been... Well, lo- the logic purists go right back to Enterprise. You're right, they do. So these have been a problem for over a thousand years now, which, again, it kind of makes sense because the logic purists are going to be really pissed off when you resettle all the Romulans on the planet and then you rename oh, yeah. the planet and everything. So, yeah, I think they need to do something about them, though, so they keep cropping up. Uh, right. It's one of the things in it. It's politics. That's what they're doing. It's politics. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they, we've we've got to keep them happy, and they want this to say it's to say they're logic purists. It's not a very logical thing that they ask for, because it no one's going to agree to that. So yeah, it, well, maybe, maybe that's the purist, point. You don't want to be part of the federation. Yeah, so you. This is a reason that you can come out with. That's re- that's a, yeah. a reasonable reason to stay out. So logically... And, and you're using logic that the Federation won't agree to it. Yeah, yeah, logically, but, but, this is going to mean we can't join. But you're back into a once the third option was put on the table. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? It's, yeah, if... Logically, they won't, the Federation will not agree to this. So if we say we want that, that'll get us what we want. So Yeah. Could be. And then going back to Saru then, when the president's teaching him the uh, meditation, he has a little sneaky look, doesn't he? And she's like, I told you to close your eyes, Mr. Saru. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Outrageous. Outra- this is why it gets its... It is. There's so, like, from Vulcan... From a Vulcan standpoint, this is almost pornographic. It is. You know, this is why it gets its TV mature rating, Discovery, <laughs> stuff like this. 
And then, yeah, Michael realises we need a third party to intervene. And I think the solution's really good. It's like, right, we'll, we'll create what's effectively a committee that will that will ensure everybody's needs are being met. Yeah. And, and it's not just for Vulcan, this will be for everybody. Yeah, it'll which, be... F- oh, not just for Navar, which is even more fair that you're not giving Navar special treatment. Yeah, and it'll be made up of different people and everything, and it won't be directly accountable to the Federation Council. And I think this deals with a lot of the issues that we've been told the Federation had before the burn. And to be honest, they probably should have thought of doing something like this anyway before they started recruiting all the yeah. new planets because this is a good selling point for your new improved Federation. Yeah. Uh, but, like, this is where we come back to where we say Michael is the perfect person to do this job mm. because, like she says, I will liaise for Navarre. I'm a citizen of Navarre. I was um, raised in Vulcan logic. Yeah. Uh, and then I'm also a citizen of the Federation. Yeah. I mean, the I'm only... I'm a Starfleet officer, and she literally fits into she does. all the different categories. The only issue, if I were one of the Vulcans, the only issue I might have with Michael being on this committee is to say, well, yes, you are a citizen of Navarre and a citizen of the Federation. However, you're also a Starfleet officer, and they are very much weighted towards the Federation, but, yeah, I think everything else outweighs it, but I'd I'd be a little bit dubious about, right, okay, but you're still a Starfleet captain, so you're obviously going to have a bit of of bias there, but, yeah, she she is uniquely suited to it. Um, Back on the planet, then, so, obviously... We've got to have a bit of a, a crisis for Tilly to solve with her <coughs> teaching skills, not her command skills. <laughs> and this is Adira getting stuck in, <coughs> stuck in the ice, but they managed to rescue them. Because Tilly teaches them how to do a tug-of-war. So yeah. that, that's a teaching moment. Let's all do a tug-of-war. And she does do a good job of getting the Orion and the Tellarite to talk to each other. And Well, she explains, like, the Tellarite's just straight against the Orion and she goes, do you know who his father is? Yeah. And it turns out that his father had been an Orion who was against the Emerald Syndicate. Yeah, and that's really good. In terms of, again, transferable skills that could apply equally to command or teaching, in my mind, but... Knowing about the people that you're on the mission with is good. Yeah. Like she's found this out presumably prior to the mission. Yeah, she, yeah. Well, she must have read um, the profiles, and that shows as well. Actually, if we take this back to the the early bit, where the first thing she tried to do was get them to to talk to each other, she was probably thinking, "I'm going to try and get him to say who his father was here, because that'll diffuse any potential." problems yeah. further down the line which again good command slash teaching to well, it i think i i think like i don't think tilly when she's first gone on there has realized just how alienated they all are to each other no i don't think so like she like she's let's remember she's still from the federation of mm. 900 years previously when everyone did know each other that's was it together. so she's got to get used to the fact that all these different species 
don't know each other anymore. That's it, and they do make the point, don't they? Like, the reason you'll be so good at the Academy is because you come from this time where everything was really nice, and apart from yeah. the Klingon War and the Red Angel and the Control trying to destroy the universe and uh, <laughs> the Romulans being a bit dodgy and all the stuff that went down in the original series, but never mind. But yeah, they come from what what's always been described as a more optimistic time. Yeah. And that is something that Tilly can bring to Which it. Which is where they're always... Po- you, you used to think that anything was possible. Yeah, exactly. That's says. where that's from, yeah. Um, so, ultimately then, yeah, we get a bit of an action scene, like the, the beastie, the distract it and everything. And again, I think this shows better command than it does teaching because... If I, you know, when I was a teacher, if there were a shitty job that needed doing in the classroom, I'd get one of kids to do it. So well, if, if I were Tilly, I'd like get one of them. Like this involves needing to run, so you'd probably send your best runner. Yeah, exactly. Right, Orion, you look good at running. Off you go. That's what I'd have gone with. But whereas a good commander would probably, you know, go. I'll I'll do this myself. So. I'm I'm gonna put one in the command box rather than the teaching box for yeah. for that moment. But anyway, they manage to get the job done, rescue everyone, they get beamed up. It's a good thing that the newfangled transporters are pretty much instant because if it had been a slow beam out, she might yeah, have been in trouble. Yeah. Then and uh, th- this is purely just a, a a directorial choice, I assume, but when we go back to we see an establishing shot of Federation headquarters and then the screen does a wipe. It does like an upward wipe to having Tilly chatting with the cadets. And I don't think I've ever seen a wipe in Star Trek before. That's a Star Wars thing doing a yeah. a wipe across the screen. And I hadn't thought of it actually. <laughs> it just really jumped out at me so like Wow, that's very, very Star Wars. You know, I mean, specifically, the bit it makes me think of is um, after they've blown up the first Death Star, spoilers, um, and it shows all the X-Wings flying down to the planet, and then there's a wipe, and we go to the hangar deck, and Luke's climbing out of his X-Wing. And this kind of felt like that, because it's like we've got the establishing shot of the base, wipe, yeah. we're in a hangar deck and we're chatting to the cadets. I hadn't, I hadn't actually thought about it like that at all. It was just, yeah, we're just like, wow, okay, that's a, an interesting choice. I think it's just because, like, they used to do wipes in, in films all the time, it was just a thing. But George Lucas did it in the 70s where it wasn't as popular, and because of that it's become sort of yeah, known iconic. as a... Yeah, like an iconic Star Wars thing. So <coughs> dipping your toe in that in Star Trek's interesting. I mean, maybe it's just the directors. Like, yeah, I like yeah. Star Wars as well. It is a little, it is like, a little. To be fair, we like Star Wars as well. Yeah, absolutely. And then, did you hear the Tannoy when during this scene? The the Tannoy comes on and it says Ensign Morn report for. Such oh, and such. I didn't notice that either. Yeah, so uh, I'm headcanoning that that's either Morn and he's really, really long-lived or it's a descendant of Morn. I think a descendant of Morn is probably more likely. Yeah, 
because he's his family, yeah, his um, his species. We know he's still around in this point in time. So, yeah, I like that. That was a nice little nod. And this is where we get Cronenberg offering her the job. I w- must start calling him Kovic. That's the character's name. Just because the actor, uh, the actor slash director's more famous. They should get him a direct one, actually, if he's knocking about on set. Oh, that'd be awesome. I mean, yeah, they, they'd probably have to go on after the watershed if you're going to get a, a full-on <laughs> Cronenberg episode. But And, and then they're going <clears> to let him do a Cronenberg episode. I wouldn't have <laughs> thought so. I mean, it's rated, it's rated TVMA, so you can probably get away with a little bit, but... I'm not sure we're going to go full on the fly or anything. But <laughs> I'd be up for it, though. That'd be... Yeah. Just have a disclaimer on this. is a very special episode of Star Trek Discovery. <laughs> and see what it he does can seem do a waste it. to get Cronenberg, doesn't it? And not have him direct an episode. I mean, yeah, he's done a bit of acting over the years, but not a right... Like, I wonder if he's just a really big Trekkie and he's just like, yeah, you know... It probably is a big Trekkie and... You do get that. It's like, that's where Ruffy Goldberg came from, yeah. and Skynan. And I'm, a big trekkie. And I'm willing to bet that the pay for the amount of work <laughs> that he has to do for these episodes is probably not to be sniffed at. So, you know, it's a yeah. lot less hassle than directing a film, so why not? Um, yeah, so she gets the job offer. Come and work at the Academy. You'll be really good because of this hope and everything, and... Tilly gives Adira a bit of a pep talk and everything. Nivar's back in the Federation. So we're getting everything wrapped up. It's it's quite a nice ending, really. Saru, they seem to arrange a date. Yeah. It's yeah, shall we shall we go for dinner? So Yeah, a good result for most of the crew. Book's feeling a little bit better. But as I say, I'm not um I'm not going to rule out... I'm not going to say that it's all over with, but I think he's learning how to deal with yeah, it, how to he, cope. He's found a practical, because the, the mind meld give him a bit of respite, but it's not proactively dealing with it, whereas now he seems to have found like a bit more of a proactive coping mechanism. Yeah. So, yeah. And I love the Michael and Tilly have this chat. That's just... Tilly says, like, oh, we haven't had a chat like this since you became the captain. And you realise, oh, no, they haven't, actually. It's It's no. been a long time since we've seen them just hanging about. and. But it, it's nice because it's all... The entire chat is a callback to... Would it be episode two? Three, I think. Yeah, cause one, one and two were sort of a two-parter, yeah. weren't they? Yeah, Yeah, episode three. And Tilly was... Was scared of Burnham. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she really was. And Michael's right. We did see Tilly snoring, but she's telling fibs because she didn't tell the computer to phase it out. What she did instead was she went and nicked a bit of a spit so she could break into the, um, what do you call it? Not engineering, where Stamets works, the... I keep wanting to say hydroponics. Mushroom, mushroom hall. The mushroom hall. We'll go with mushroom <laughs> hall. So, yeah, you might have phased out a snoring a little bit later, Michael, but at first you quite liked it because you you were nicking a spit. So, anyway, but, yeah, it's really nice and it does show the warmth between the characters and everything. And, like you say, she has that bit where she says being a lieutenant was the worst thing that ever happened. and. Yeah. <clears throat> 
It's almost like um It's almost like she's realised her mother has been it by the sounds of this, her mother has been overbearing. Yeah. And she's felt and she's almost had this pressure behind her that she has to achieve to impress her mother. Mm. And she's come to the realisation that her mum is her mum's dead and gone. Yeah, so it's, it's and that for isn't her there now. anymore. And she doesn't have to do this if she doesn't want to. And and being a Starfleet commander, captain, isn't actually what she yeah. really wants. And she was doing it for her mother's sake. This ties into something, and I think this is what they they might be dabbling with here. Because the, the, the producers and writers and stuff did say, like, we're, we're going to deal with elements of the pandemic. And there has been a thing over the pandemic that they've called the Great Resignation, which is where a lot of people have changed jobs because yeah. they, they've had so much downtime and work's changed and things. And people have sort of used it as a an opportunity to take stock and to think, is this what I really want to do? And I think what the what they're trying to do here is kind of mirroring that with Tilly and showing so, us... Like, I know I've had ulterior motives why I've changed career, but I've come out of the pandemic having changed career completely. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, several several people that I know have rethought the position and looked at different things. And I think, yeah, apparently they're calling it the Great Resignation. And I think this is... Discovery's way of acknowledging that. Yeah. And it's almost reminiscent of Wesley Crusher, the last time we see Wesley in TNG, because he'd always been the golden boy. He's going to go and he's going to be a captain. He's going to be the greatest Starfleet officer ever. And he comes back in season seven and he says, no, the Academy's crap, actually. <laughs> it's not for me. I want to do something yeah. else. So I think there's, there's elements of that, but obviously we're going to get a lot more time to explore it with Tilly than we did with that one episode with Wesley. Yeah. <laughs> Another thing, though, like, that I did think of is, is this Saru's fault for promoting her to acting first officer? Because he's taken someone who wasn't ready for that position and throwing her into that position has made her go, oh, God, I'm, you know, I'm not ready for this, I don't want this. It makes you wonder if she'd have progressed up the ranks naturally and not been forced into a position, would she have have been comfortable with it if it'd have come about in a yeah. in a natural way? Alternatively, you could say, well, Saru's done her a favour because he's made her realise it's not for her. But it did just occur to me, like, actually, have we got Saru to to blame yeah, for this? It, it, it could have something to do with it. Yeah. Because, I mean, like... From my own experience, like I packed in teaching, but I was at a really rough, bad school. And sometimes I do wonder if I'd have been at a better school, would I have would I have stuck stuck at that career? You know, we'll never yeah. know. But I do wonder that about Tilly. If he hadn't made me first officer and I'd have gradually moved up, I'd I'd have got to maybe be a lieutenant, and they'd put like, me in charge of a couple of people in a science lab. Like, I don't care how you look at it, she was never ready to be first officer. No, she wasn't. And and all, the, all them people who are now commanders on the bridge, 
must have absolutely hated him <laughs> as an ensign becoming first officer well, no. when he got overlooked. No, they Maybe loved... it's because we didn't we don't know half the names. Maybe so. But they loved Maybe Saru's cause... the same as the audience and well, I don't really know them, so I can't make them first officer. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure who they are. <laughs> I only see this guy every other week because he's actually on another show and um, we only get him when <laughs> um Yeah. And this did make me think because if if Tilly has gone or is going to have a, a reduced role, we're going to have to beef up some of the other characters now. Yeah. But then it made me think, like, Detmer and Owo, we've had nothing this season. Like, they both had a bit to do last season and the season before, but I, I can't even think of anything, really, that they've done this season. So No, no they did the... Um... Detmer did the cool get into orbit of the spinning. Oh yes, space you're right. Station. Yeah, but that was episode one. But, I can't think of anything they've but done. But then she wasn't allowed to go fly Buck's ship. Buck had to go fly in episode yeah. three or two. Two. So, so yeah, I don't know. Are, are we going to beef up some of the support characters? Or I hope. So. Well, I hope so because I like Detmer. I like Woo Woo. Yeah. But I don't know a lot about them still. No, exactly, and now's the time if you're if you're thinning out the main cast. But having said that, we'll we'll find out how Tilly factors into the rest of the season. I mean, it like, might... to be fair, this season we've not seen a lot of the crew of Discovery at all. No, not at all. Apart from Michael and Tilly, yeah, and Saru, yeah, and Culver. Yeah, we've not seen a lot of Stamets. You're right, yeah. It's... yeah we got Stamets on the mission with Buck in, in Buckship when Dickman wasn't allowed to fly it. <laughs> yeah. No, it'd be interesting to see whether the whether they are like reducing the 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 core cast members or whether whether we're gonna see her pretty much every week anyway, but then how are they gonna justify that if she's off at the Academy? I mean maybe the thing with academies and schools and universities and things like that is they have a lot of scholarly people there. And if we're doing a lot of investigation into an anomaly and we need a lot of scholars, that it could work this season to yeah. to bring her in. Like, but I, I, <coughs> I I'd like them to do, like we said, I said at the beginning, I think this is the perfect time to do the Academy show. Yeah, I think that's probably This is the on most the perfect time there's ever been to do it. And somewhere, Michelle Yeoh and Shazad Latif are just watching it thinking, no, you've got to do Section 31 first, you promised. <laughs> We've already been bumped for Pike, and now it looks like you're going to do Academy before us. Well... I don't even know if you'd need to get a full season. It's maybe a six-parter. Maybe. I don't know. We'll find out, no doubt. I'm sure by the end of this season, I'm sure we'll have a much clearer idea of where Tilly fits in yeah. in the Star Trek universe going forward. I'm absolutely like, sure they won't want to lose the character and they won't want to lose Mary Wiseman, but how she's going to go forward, I don't know. And it'll be interesting to find out. Um, but I think that more or less does us for this episode, then. Apart from the last thing that we get where Grey comes back with his snow globe. Oh, of course. Sorry, yes. Which... And I think what's happened here, because we saw fairly close to the beginning, 
Grace says, I'll just go in a room and I'll say, hi, I'm Gray and introduce myself. Yeah. And I'll get to know some people. And I think he's walked into the school. <coughs> and he's right. been arts and crafts day. And he's gone, hold on, <laughs> you're only one. So, yeah, you are a kid. You can join it. Yeah, yeah, and he's only small as well, isn't it? Yeah, he is, yeah. You've only had your Android body for a couple of days. So, yeah, Mecca's a... Uh, yeah, because let him join in on arts and crafts day. <laughs> Yeah, okay, we'll go with that, we'll go with that. It looked like an old NX. Have you got a better, have you got a better idea why he's come back with a snow globe? That's, and it, that says all is possible on it as well. It's like, so have you been listening <coughs> to what's been going on with Tilly's storyline? Because that, that quote well, kind of makes sense with that. But Well, it also makes sense with the fact that he's got a new body. Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. To be fair... It makes a lot of sense from his point of view. Yeah, to be fair, Grey being alive does show that all is possible because we're still not 100% sure. I mean, we know how his consciousness was transferred into the android body. What we don't know really is why the consciousness was a separate thing. And So anyway, yes, okay. So he's gone to Arts and Craft Day... Yeah, he's made a snow, made globe, a snow globe, which I, I'm I've not checked, but I'm pretty sure you'll be able to buy them in time for Christmas <laughs> if you want your all is possible snow globe. Um, but yeah, that'll do us for this one. Then we'll see what happens next week, which will be the halfway mark of the season. So we've only got ten episodes this season. Are you sure it's only ten episodes? I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So yeah, we're because one well, IMDb was showing up to eleven or twelve. Oh, but they oh, they told us Chakotay were going to be in every episode of Prodigy. Yeah, so that's true. Thankfully, <laughs> they were wrong about that. Um, <laughs> if you want to get in touch with us, we're on Twitter at RetrekPod. You can email us RetrekPod at gmail.com or you can come and join us on Facebook. Let us know what you think about the this season of Discovery, or indeed any part of Star Trek. We'll be happy to talk about it. And um, thanks for trekking with us this time, and we'll see you next time on the retrack. Thank you. Bye bye.